So Colossians chapter 3, this week we'll start with verse 12. Start with verse 12. So in your Bibles, go ahead, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Let's read. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that as we read your word, we apply it to our lives. Help us be a people that put these on. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, just by way of reminder, we, you remember last week we talked about going skydiving, trying to pull the cord on a parachute, but you don't have a parachute on. If you jump out of the plane... You don't have a parachute on. It doesn't matter if you know whether or not to pull the cord. You can't do it. In the same way, when you jump into the middle of Colossians, if you try to live these things out in your own strength, you won't be able to do it. It's only those who are in Christ. And, and this is what I mean. In Colossians 1.13, it talks about how God has rescued us from a domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his Son. If God has rescued us out of the domain of darkness and placed us into the kingdom of his son, there's a radical difference in how you live. Or, put it another way, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus, continue to live your lives in him. You can't continue in someone you do not know. So, first and foremost, you have to receive Christ. And then later on in Colossians 2.20 and Colossians 3.1, this is the picture that you have since you have died with Christ. Because we have died with Christ, we can put to death the things we talked about last week. Lust and greed and sexual immorality, anger and malice and lying. We can put that to death because we're dead in Christ. But then also the good news, Colossians 3.1, since you have been raised with Christ, we have new life, new desires. We can live a new way. You can put on the things we read and cover today. This past Friday, we did a little road trip with our football team. You gotta love driving on a yellow bus for two and a half hours on a Friday. A little chilly, heat went out on the way back. To get down to Boyd County, you don't wear your football gear. You're given these black cloth bags and they're long. They're about three feet long and you have to put all of your gear in the bag. Helmets, shoulder pads, your pants, your jersey, your cleats, all of it goes in the bag. Now, when you get to Boyd County in the locker room, guess what you do? You put it on. Every one of our players have the equipment. They've packed it, but it would do no good 
if they sit in that locker room, run out onto the field, getting ready to play a game without putting on their helmet and shoulder pads and pants. Right? Well, that's common sense, right? Well, that's what Paul is doing, right? There's four things every believer has in their bags. There's four things that Paul is calling us to put on, and you have it if you're in Christ. You don't have to worry like the coaches did. Someone's probably forgot their helmet. This past Friday, nobody forgot their helmet. The only thing that we lost were knee pads, which we were able to make up for. Not too bad. Pretty good for a team of about 40 high schoolers trying to remember all their stuff. You're not missing anything. If you're in Christ, you have it. Now, there's four things to put on, and we'll walk through this. The first thing you put on is love. And you're given five attributes of this love, five descriptions of this love. And then there's two actions that this love lives out in the church. So the first thing, if you're taking notes, is put on love. And you'll see that uh, verses 12 to 14. The next thing you put on is peace. You put that in your heart. You let the peace of Christ in your heart saturate your lives. You don't go up and down based on what's happening in culture, what's happening in your life. There's a peace that surpasses all understanding and is found only in Christ. So you put that on. The third thing is thankfulness. And we live in a world where we are very entitled. Very entitled. And a lot of times thankfulness is far from our mouths because it's far from our hearts. But those in Christ are called to put on thankfulness. And, and then finally, and you'll see this towards the end of this passage, 15 to 17, you put on the word of Christ. It says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in your lives. We'll talk a little bit about that. But there's four pieces, right? So if the football guys have four things in their bag to put on, we have four things to put on this morning. All right? That's the work. Put on love, put on peace, put on thankfulness, put on the word of Christ. I love how Paul helps us with this. There's a passage in Romans 13 and 14 that says, just clothe yourself with Jesus. Just clothe yourself with Jesus. So you can worry about the four things, love, peace, thankfulness, word of Christ, or just put on Christ. Verse 17 is one of those verses that if you don't have a life verse, I would recommend this for one of them. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of Jesus. If you can't do it to the glory of Christ, don't do it. And if you can do it to the glory of Christ, make sure you're focused on bringing him glory. All right, so that's a lot of work to cover. A lot of things to put on. Let's get to it. First off, put on love. And now you see this in verse 14, but the description you see in verse 12 and 13. We'll cover, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Those are the five attributes. That's the type of love we're talking about. If I were to ask you, I think we've got Sweetest Day coming up. It might be Sunday. I'm not sure if you celebrate Sweetest Day. I know there will be cards that you could buy for your significant other. I don't know if Julianne and I are celebrating Sweetest Day, but I want to make sure I don't make a mistake. But if I asked you to define what is love, we might have a lot of different definitions. I am glad the Bible doesn't leave it up to us. The Bible describes this is what love looks like. This is what love looks like. And now here's the cool part with these attributes. I don't know if you notice fashion trends go in and out of style. I did a little research because I am not a guy that has much style. All right. Nobody asked me what's the style, what's the current trend, because I, I don't know it. 
I'm a pretty simple guy. But did you know, 1920s, there was a popularity in something called the flapper dress. Flapper dress, we, we don't wear those today. We don't wear those today. That's out of style. 1970s, bell bottoms. Anybody rock any bell bottoms? All right, a few people rock some bell bottoms. I have not yet. Unfortunately, a trend today are skinny jeans. I don't rock skinny jeans. If they're skinny jeans, it's because I've gained weight, not because I bought a certain style of jeans. All right, I don't, I don't recommend that. In the 1980s, there was a hip-hop style, MC Hammer pants. In the 2000s, we had a denim craze where everything we had to do was denim. We even had UK basketball in denim shorts and jerseys. It's an amazing thing to watch the trends and styles of clothing. Then you also have some very, very costly items. There's two pictures. One's the thriller jacket, and the other is Dorothy and Wizard of Oz, right? Now, this is going back a little bit, but both of those will cost you over a million and a half dollars. A million and a half dollars. Now, what do, what do I care about all of this? In, in verse 12, it says, clothe yourselves. And Paul gives five things about the love we are to put on. And it doesn't go in and out of style. The five attributes of love that Paul gives to the church about 2,000 years ago are just as in style today as it was then. This should be how we love one another. And, and it's more costly than a million and a half dress or a million and a half dollar jacket. It's priceless. You can't buy these things. You're giving them. You're giving them through Christ, who loved us exactly this way. If you want to see what compassion looks like, what humility looks like, what gentleness looks like, what kindness looks like, what patience looks like, Look to the cross. Because on that you'll see how much Jesus loves you. And when you experience that love, it frees you up to love that way. So let's just walk through these quickly. Number one, compassion. Um, one guy put it this way. This is love with work gloves on. A lot of times we'll see someone or something and we'll feel sorry for that person. Feeling sorry doesn't do anything. Compassion does. Compassion sees a need and meets a need. You see this in Scripture all the time. When Jesus comments he had compassion, it always leads to action by Christ. So a couple of examples. Matthew 14, 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. His compassion led him to do something. Matthew 20, 34. It says, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. He had compassion, therefore he touched their eyes, healed their sight. Compassion leads to action. He gave a story that shows compassion. The prodigal son. And I think it's hard for us to get this in our minds. And Jesus is giving us a picture of the love of the Father for you and for me. And if you know this story, the prodigal son says, Father, it would be better if you were dead and gave me my money instead of you still living. And the Father gives him what would be due him upon his death. And it says that the son went, lived wildly, wasted his money, hit rock bottom, was eating the things that were reserved for pigs to eat. And the Bible says that he came to his senses. And he said, I could go back home and be a servant for my father because they eat better than what I'm doing now. And he rehearsed this speech. If I go back to my father, I say, forgive me of this. I don't want to be considered a son. I just want to. He had this speech in his mind where father would accept him. Right? And so he starts walking back home. 
And I want you to hear how we read when the Father sees him. All right? Notice compassion in this text. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off. Still a long way off. You want to know why he was seen a long way off? Because the father was looking for him. While he was seen a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. That's the compassion God has for you and for me. When you were far from God, he saw you, had compassion on you, and ran towards you, not away. That type of compassion changes lives. Number two, kindness. Number two, kindness. We see this in Ephesians 2, 6 through 8. It says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We keep reading, and most of us know or have heard verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it's a gift from God. You see, it's God's kindness that leads us to faith. It's a gift from God. We didn't earn it. God was kind to us. And when we didn't deserve salvation, he gives us salvation. Someone else is just as important as you. His or her needs are as important as your needs. It's a good definition of kindness. Number three, humility. Number three, humility. DeMarcus, you remember? Josh, Noah, this was our devotion. I think this was our first one during the season. We talked about humility. A lot of young men are very confident in themselves. And I'm, I'm not surprised by youth being cocky, right? They're young. They're healthy. They're usually strong. But it's surprising when you get to the church and you see this same attitude. And I'm thankful in this congregation more often than not, most of us are represented with humility. We put others' needs ahead of our own. Let me read just a few. Philippians 2.3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. So those that serve in the children's ministry, watching babies for an hour, sometimes the rooms are hot, sometimes the rooms are cold, they're always loud. Thank you. That's humility. You consider sacrificing your time to do that. Those that have sacrificed for students and providing meals and serving, thank you. Those who have worked on the building inside and out, thank you. That's humility. I always bring up the example of Andrew. We had a, a thing down at uh, Oakland where we were giving rabies shots to dogs because uh, we had a veterinarian that, man, that was his ministry. He asked if he could help. We said, sure. And I'll tell you what, dogs came out of the woodwork to get these shots. Well, you know what dogs do when they get around? They leave little presents, right? And there was a little present right there, middle parking lot, walking up to the entrance of Oakland. And I'm looking, and nobody's quick, right? It's that selective site where I know people see that and smell it, but nobody sees it or smells it, right? And if you bring it up, you know you're going to be volunteered to do it. And so I'm slow walking inside to get a bag. And before I could get there, Andrew already comes out, bag on his hand. He has some work gloves on, picking that up, putting it in, throwing it away. He saw it. Now, listen, Andrew, Andrew's one of the leaders in the churches. He doesn't have to do that. He could ask anybody to do that. But that's humility. 
And, and you want to know what is very humbling? When you look at Jesus. You see in that Philippians 2 passage, it talks about how Jesus laid aside all of his glory. He emptied himself to come to earth and to lay his life down. That's humbling. So if the Son of God can come to earth to die, not just any death, but to die on the cross, man, you and I can live a life of humility. You and I can live a life of humility. And, and I think that, that passage, now this is cool, this is also a hymn sung in the early church, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. If you're taking notes, the hymn is 6, verse 6 to 11. In Philippians 2, this is what we read. And I think this does a good job of showing compassion, kindness, and humility. And this is what Christ has done for you and what Christ has done for me. So I want you to see this in this passage. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you know him, you have seen compassion, you have seen kindness, and you have seen humility. Next, the fourth attribute of love, gentleness. Gentleness. It's a willingness to suffer injury instead of inflicting it. Another word in our translations is meekness. Now, oftentimes in today's culture, you will be called a punk if this is your character. And yet, what you see is those who are tough understand gentleness and meekness. They're able to carry the weight of having pain inflicted on them and yet overcoming it with good. You see this with Jesus at the cross. And we read in Colossians chapter 1 how he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's sustaining and maintaining everything together by the word of his power. And so the soldiers that nailed his hands to the cross and nailed his feet to the cross, breath was in their lungs because he was sustaining it. The soldiers who put something over his face and then hit him with a scepter, guess if you can who hit you? Jesus knew exactly who it was. And could wipe him out in a second, and yet he doesn't. Why? Because Jesus is gentle. There's a couple of there's there's so many good examples of coaching. A lot of times, um, people think you can't coach in a gentle way and motivate your players to accomplish anything. Well, Monty Williams, Tony Dungy is another example, but Monty Williams is coaching at the highest level in the sport of basketball. He coaches for the Phoenix Suns. And there was an interesting, uh, nowadays there's camera angles everywhere. Camera angles everywhere, and there was an angle where it's a timeout, and, and you can't see it too well. He's the, uh, the African-American coach talking to DeAndre Ayton. And DeAndre Ayton's mad, he's upset, he's not playing as well as he should, he puts his head down. And the coach just goes, hey man, you have high expectations for yourself, I'm calling you up. You set a bar that's really high and you can get it, but you've got to go take it by force. Don't worry about your stats. Worry about that expectation level. You can do this. You set the bar high, now go and get it. And it's an amazing thing how he sits down with him, and then he lowers himself so that he can get eye contact. Right? Other coaches would say, hey, man, quit being a baby. 
You're seven foot tall, play basketball. You know what you do. You get paid for this. Do your job. That's the tone of some coaches, which some of you may recognize from the other side. Bobby Knight, the opposite of being gentle. Now, I'll tell you this. I would like to play for one of those two guys. Give me Monty Williams any time of the day. I have zero respect for coaches that cannot be respectful for their players. Now, that's sports, whatever. In the church, gentleness should be our characteristic. How we do business meetings should be marked with gentleness. How we speak to one another day in and day out should be marked with gentleness. Is that a characteristic of our church? And then finally, the last one is patience. Is patience. And and I'll I'll give you an example from (laughs) cutting grass with dad. Uh, Dad grew in his patience because he had to, I think. So dad did lawn care. Uh, He had three sons that helped him. Um, I don't know if we were the cream of the crop. There were no resumes that were filled out, no job interviews. Um, Besides, we were in the house and we were available, so we were going to learn how to cut grass. And I can remember Andrew, Samuel, and I would stretch dad's patience. Something simple we found amusing. He didn't. He had automatic locks on his truck. He'd go pay for the gas, come out to the truck, and about time he'd get to the handle, we'd hit the automatic locks, it locked the door, he'd pull the handle, he's like, unlock the door, unlock the door. Eventually we'd unlock it and we'd go, we're laughing. We're cutting, we're weed eating, I'm learning how to do it. I bust a pipe, water is shooting out everywhere. It wasn't the fire hydrant, but it might as well have been. That by the time we got back to fix the water problem, there was already a little river in the side of this guy's yard. So I thought, well, we're gonna lose this account, thankfully not, we fixed it. Dad said, hey, just be careful. We kept rolling. Andrew and Sam, they're out putting gas in the mowers up on the trailer. Dad's inside paying, and I'm with Dad this time. And all of a sudden, you hear a smack. We look out. Everybody at the pumps looking at our truck. Samuel's dying laughing. Andrew's laying down in the trailer, tripped over a piece of wood on our trailer, took off the side of the trailer. Down. We go out. to. Dad's still patient. Come on. Let's keep working. Let's keep working. Samuel finally gets to do the, the walk behind. He thinks he can go over a sewer lid. Never think you can go over something. He goes halfway over it, bam, lands on it, breaks the mower. He goes back, doesn't turn the blades off, goes back and just leaves holes in this guy's yard. Dad is patient. And then the last time I think we tested the patience too far, Dad got a zero-turn mower. Now, this is years ago when it was just, they were just coming out. They weren't as expensive as they are now, but they were expensive enough. And the rule was that's the only one on the zero-turn mower. So uh, we cut our yard, we cut our neighbor's yard, and Dad's going in, going to the restroom, filling up the water cooler and getting ready to come back out. And Andrew goes, watch this. Gets on the zero-turn mower in the driveway and waits for Dad to come back out. Dad comes back out and sees him, and he's just like, get off the mower. Andrew pulls the handles in and gooses it one time, jumps up, it goes, and he's smiling, he's having a good time. Dad's like get off the mower he looks back does it one more time gooses it dad's like this time get off the mower he starts walking andrew gooses it one more time hits the basketball goal post he was looking back at dad instead of where he was going and the joke was over andrew shuts the the blades off gets off the mower and just takes off running down i'm like oh dad's going to kill him but he didn't we kept mowing that day isn't it funny how a father can have patience with his sons now, we worked hard, but, man, we would try people's patience. He said, hey, come on, come on, 
Come on. Isn't that a lot how God treats us? I mean, I, I think, come to know Christ when I was seven, called me to ministry at 17. That's 30 years, 20 years in ministry, and I'm thinking, you know what? God really still has to be patient with me. I'm, I'm never going to get it figured out this side of heaven. And then an awesome thing to experience the patience of God. Nothing surprises him. He offers forgiveness. Get back up. Keep walking with me. If I can experience that between God the Father and myself, can't I extend that to the church? Can't you extend that to the church? Can't you extend that to your coworkers, classmates, neighbors? So when you see those five attributes, does that characterize your love for people? Have you experienced that love from Christ to you? Are you compassionate in how you love others? Are you kind? Does humility mark your life? Are you patient? Are you gentle? So those are the five attributes, but then there's two actions. One of them's forbearing. And I think this is, it's like a build-up, it's a, a help sustain. And I get this idea, um, we were at Thomas Moore, and they did a thing called Dog Soldier Week, and they come up with these brutally tough challenges. And our team's there, and they said, hey, here's a railroad tie, you need to lift it for 10 minutes. Well, the first minute's easy, but eventually your arms get tired from holding them over your head, and this thing is not light. And, and that we, someone on the team, either is too short, can't reach the railroad tie, so you got to bring it down a little bit, but then it's pushing your muscles because you can't frame and lock it out. But you want to know what we noticed? Wherever the weak spot was, move somebody who had a little bit more strength to that spot and help them hold it up. Isn't that a beautiful picture of how we should be as a church? When different people in the room, and all of us will be there, need help holding some things up, I hope we're there for them. When we go through a tough time, I hope we're quick to help bear up and walk with Jesus. And then the second part of that action is forgiveness. Be quick to forgive one another. And I love the example. If there's any grievance, forgive as who? It's God forgave you in Christ. How did Jesus forgive us? Did it cost Jesus anything to forgive us? Yeah. It cost him his life. And did he forgive us just a little bit, or did he forgive us completely? Completely washed it away. And I promise you this, my sin towards God is infinitely worse than my sin towards others. Not making light of it, but if God can forgive me, I should be able to forgive others. Now, just real quick, side note, we're not saying forget when people have wronged you. We're not saying go back to the same harmful situations but we're saying don't let bitterness and a heart of anger start building. Confess it to God, forgive him, and move on. Does that characterize our church, or do we like to hold grudges? I'm trying to think. We did a, a road trip, and when you put a lot of students in one van for a lot of hours, you got to bear with one another, and you got to forgive one another. I, I, I don't want to be too gross, but we're going down. And if you have a bunch of high schoolers, high school guys in the van, and you eat a lot of stuff, you know what happens eventually. The van's going to stink. And you talk about not wanting to be gentle, not wanting to be patient. 
I wanted to kick half the van out by the time we got to Lexington, and we were going all the way down to Florida. That's a long trip. But you want to know what? You learn how to be patient with each other. You learn how to bear with one another. You learn how to forgive one another. And this is my prayer for our church. I hope we're quick to ask for forgiveness, and we're quick to forgive. And you want to know what makes those two things easier? If we love each other the way we just read. If we love each other with compassion and we're gentle with one another, we're humble, we'll be a forgiving church. So that's the first thing to put on. Now listen, I spent a little bit more time because I think that's the main uh, point of this text. Put on love, but we don't end there. Not only are we to put on love, we're also to put on peace. Put on peace. You see this in verse 15. Bear with each other, forgive one another, lay aside of agreement someone has, forgive as the Lord forgive you. And over all these things, put on love, which binds them in unity. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Now, uh, I hope this is true of your life, but the thing about peace is it's hard to see unless we're in each other's life on a day-to-day basis. For many people, it's hard to know what you're worried about, what stresses you out. You have to get into each other's lives for this. But you know, you know if the peace of Christ rests in you. Is that the characteristic of your heart? Are you at peace even though the world is chaotic? Even though the future is uncertain? Do you have peace? I love that. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. For, for the sake of time, I'm, I'm going to move on uh, to Dia. Dia, um, Dia, one and a half year old. She's up here, pretty tall. She's not scared of the baptismal. That's a look of confidence there on the left. Now, on the right, you got a shark coming at you. She's not scared. You want to know what she's thinking right now? I'll tell you who's more worried in the picture on the right, dad or daughter, dad is. Because the other girls are on a shopping spree. You can't tell I'm not at peace. Dia is at peace because I'm holding her. Yesterday at the soccer game, we're taking her, we're just buying time, right? We're cheering on Camden, but we're just trying to buy time on the sideline. So for Dia, I throw her up and I catch her. She's laughing, and I notice this, the higher I throw her, the more she laughs the more she's smiling, the more fun she's having. So I just take it as a challenge. We'll just keep going. We'll see how high this thing can go. And it got to the point where she wasn't nervous, but I was a little terrified. And I'm like, I've got pretty good hands, but if I drop this child, oh, I stopped. But you want to know what? She goes up. There's nothing holding her. But her eyes are on me, and she knows who will catch her. Now, this is very, very important. The same is true for you and me. You see, there's going to come a time where I go to the doctor and I get a bad health report. Brown, you got something growing. We're not sure what it is. Or, Brown, listen, we had to cut back our enrollments down. We're cutting positions at school. We've got to cut your position. Or, Ben, one of your family members, uh, we're in an accident. And this, right? And all of these things are threats to peace. But you want to know what? Here, here's the awesome part the good news one day I'm going to breathe my last and the next second I'll be in the presence of Christ because when it goes up and you come down we know who will catch us 
And that's what we mean by the peace of Christ. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nor height, nor depth, nor width. Nothing can separate us from Christ. And so that's where the peace that surpasses all understanding comes from. We know who will catch us. This life will be crazy. You will have trouble, but guess what? Jesus has promised he will leave us his peace. Not as the world does, but as God does. Does peace represent your hearts right now? It's hard to see, but you know if you have peace. And you can have that. You can have, you can have peace with God through Christ. You can know for eternity you'll be in the presence of Christ in heaven. You can have peace with God because of what Jesus has done. And then, because you have peace with God, you can seek peace with others. The next thing to put on is thankfulness. The next thing is put, the, it was tagged on to verse 15. And be thankful. And I think it goes back to verse 12 where it talks about how we're chosen by God to be holy, set apart. And, and now that holy has a negative aspect, put off sin, but it also has a positive aspect, live for the glory of God. And then we read that we are dearly beloved. Have you ever sat down and just thought for a little bit how much you are loved by God? Not how much God loves the church, not how much God loves somebody else, how much God loves you. You are loved by the creator and sustainer of the universe. The God who has all power, knows all things, loves you. That should lead to a life of thankfulness. And so here you see it right after peace and be thankful. Uh, you see it when we're talking about the word of Christ and be thankful. We see it at 17, uh, have hearts filled with gratitude. It's just a constantly never getting over what God has done for us. But we live in an entitled world. I'll give you an example. When's the last time we thanked our nursery volunteers? We just expect someone to be there. Somebody works really hard. Do you know they don't get paid for that? Another example, coffee. Listen, Miss Alice Elam and Vicki uh, fight go through the ringer for coffee. And you want to know what? I was very slow in bringing out coffee. We started it at Oakland, and we, we started that recently. That's not a thing we've been doing at the beginning. We started it really slow, and this is why. Because I've seen in a lot of the churches that I've worked with, when there's something wrong with the coffee, there's a lot of grumbling. Somebody complains. Coffee's too hot. Coffee's too cold. My creamer wasn't out there. My creamer wasn't out there. And I'm just, I was just trying to think. I, I didn't know Vicki and Alice were charging people for venti cups out there. Nobody's paid. It's free. We, we just provide coffee because some of the ladies said, you know what, this would be nice. One, it helps the church smell well when you walk in. I like the smell of coffee. Two, it gives you caffeine so you can stay awake during the message, which I appreciate. <laughs> right? And, and so the only thing, the only thing that the two ladies that do that Sunday in and Sunday out, and that's a lot of work, is thank you. Now, those are just little things. When the God of the universe comes to earth and dies on the cross and raised from the dead so you and I can have life, that deserves an eternity of thankfulness. I'll give you an example. Uh, past Thursday night, Bengals game. You want to know when the cheers were the loudest? When T. Higgins caught a touchdown pass. Wide receiver for the Bengals goes off, and there's about 70,000 people just roaring, cheering because somebody did something good. Now, Quincy, did you cheer for that? No, Quincy didn't cheer for that. You want to know why Quincy didn't cheer for that? He's a Steelers fan. He doesn't care about the Bengals. 
those who have been changed by Christ, who are on the team, who know Jesus, always has something to cheer for. And the loudest cheering should be done here in the church because we're on the team. We know Christ. We know what he's done. Don't ever let that grow old in your heart and in your mind. Let your lives be filled with thankfulness to God. And then let the word of Christ dwell richly among us. And now listen, for the sake of time, this is, this is going to be hard to cover, but what dwells richly in your heart? And I, I tried to think about that. I tried to put myself in your shoes. I, I think sometimes as you get closer to retirement, the savings account and money and how you're going to make it, I think that has a tendency to dwell richly, weigh heavy in your life. As a, a student, I, I think social media and video games and popularity dwell richly. They, they weigh on you. Work can dwell richly on you. Certain relationship can dwell richly in your life. Paul's encouragement is let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Now, there's a lot of ways you can do this. Uh, all of us, you have the opportunity for a copy of the word of God. If you need a Bible, we would love to provide that for you. But you can read it, you can hear it, you can listen to it, you can study it, you can memorize it. We're trying to do that uh, with our group, one verse a week. Just try to get the Word of God into our minds and into our hearts so it can dwell richly in us. But then, as the Word of God gets into your heart, you're teaching it, admonishing, warning, and lifting up other people through the Word of Christ. It says, with all wisdom. One thing that I don't want to have happen, and here's the cool part, when younger people are getting ready to get married, I don't want you to give them advice from your opinions. I want you to give advice on marriage from the Word of God and how you have faithfully loved your spouse as Christ loved the church. I, I want us to encourage and give instruction based on the Word because we're letting the Word of Christ dwell richly in us. Not worldly advice, not worldly wisdom. We want the Word of Christ, that wisdom. And, and then it talks about we have uh, Psalms, which we have 150 of them. And, and here's the cool part. It's almost like you have an app for that. If you want to know about joy or about forgiveness, or about refuge, or about strength, or about the character of God and what he's created in his word. Man, there's a psalm for that. The psalm instructs us so much on who God is and what he has done. And here's a cool way. If you want to get through the book of Psalms in a month, it's a little bit easier if you pick a month with 31 days because Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. But if you read Psalm 1 and then just add 30, and you do that every day of the month, you'll read through the book of Psalms in a month. So Psalm 1, 31, 61, 91, 121. And then the next day on November 2nd, read Psalm 2, 32, 62. If you do that, five chapters a day, you'll read through the entire Psalms in a month. And it's an amazing thing how that will impact your life. And then the next thing is hymns. And we read one of the hymns. We read one of the hymns, Psalm 2, 6 through 11. Colossians 1, 15 and 20, talking about Jesus is a hymn. That was sung in the early church. Now listen, I'm not a singer. I make a joyful noise. I hit some of the notes. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're not. But the music that we sing should be lined up with the word of Christ. If they're not, we don't sing it. It's not about drums. It's not about lighting. It's not, I went to a, a student event, and every time they said, Holy Spirit, the mist machine would work. That's not the Holy Spirit. It's not about cool effects. It's about lining our worship up with the word of Christ. And then spiritual songs are testimonies of what God's done in your life. Now, here's the power of music. What you listen to 
gets into your mind whether you like it or not. I'll give you a negative example, something I didn't like. 1992, there was a hit song. The song writer, Billy Ray Cyrus. Wrote a song, Achy Breaky Heart. And listen, the bad news is that song was played all the time. And when you grasp with that, you're listening to B105 and there were no questions asked. And sure enough, that song will come on. And I, to this day, don't tell my heart, my achy breaky heart might blow up and kill this man. Some of the dumbest lyrics ever written to a song I've got now memorized. And I could try to sing the tune, but I won't do that to you. Isn't it amazing how music is stuck in your head? Now, here's the point. Listen to something that's worth getting stuck into your head. Chris, I think you do this. Where's Chris? Is Chris out here? Chris can sing through the Psalms. Right? It's an easy way to get it into your mind and get it into your heart. Listen, we've got to dwell richly in the word of Christ. And then the clarifying statement, and this is what I want to leave you with, Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, whatever you do, whether word or deed, do it in the name of Christ. You have to line it up to who Jesus is and his character. So I'll leave you with three questions. This is, this is our response. This is our response. Number one, have you ever received Christ? Has he rescued you from your sin? Have you ever trusted Jesus to be your Savior? If you haven't, it's going to be impossible to live out these four things to put on. You can't put on Christ because you don't have him. But the invitation is you could receive him. Secondly, which of these four are you struggling with this morning? Maybe it's your, your love for others. You, you haven't been very gentle. You haven't been very humble. You're angry. You haven't shown much compassion. Maybe it's, there's no peace in your life. Maybe the word of God's not having a significant impact in your life. But today you want to say, hey, right now I'm going to get some people to pray for me. And I'm going to put this on. And, and then thirdly, there's a commitment I'd like for us to make that we live out Colossians 3.17 whatever you do when you go out to eat after service when you get ready to go to sleep tonight and get ready to attack the week on Monday you make a decision that everything you do whether word or deed you do it in the name of Christ amen amen let's pray Father thank you for your word Lord we need Jesus we need Jesus and we thank you that Jesus loves us with compassion, with humility, with gentleness, with patience. Thank you for the kindness of Christ that he would lay his life down for us. We thank you for his peace that surpasses all understanding. Father, never let us grow cold to the fact of what you have done and what you are calling us to. Lord, we pray that we grow in your word. Help us hold fast to your truth. Father, I pray for those in the room who don't know you that today they'll put their faith in you. I pray for those in the room that are struggling with loving others or are not at peace with themselves or not really filled with a heart of gratitude right now that you'll change their hearts and help them put on what you have called us to put on. And then, Father, help us live for your glory. Whatever we do, may it glorify you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.